Welcome to the Premium Finance Show. Interviews and insights from industry professionals, helping you use financed insurance to provide tax-free withdrawals and extended estate protection. The Premium Finance Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, John McDonough. On this episode of the Premium Finance Show, we're talking with Miguel Garcia and Jimmy Milliron of National Brokerage Atlantic and their specialty focus on wealthy global citizens and foreign nationals. This is a marketplace that is vastly larger than the United States marketplace. And for those that immigrate to the United States, have houses in the United States, have business in the United States, but also have citizenship in other countries. This is an episode you don't want to miss. This is how you focus on protecting your assets in those other countries from government seizure, as well as creating tax deferral opportunities using some of the structures Miguel and Jimmy discuss. And lastly, providing liquidity for the second and third generation, which is often not thought of or not reliable in other countries. You don't want to miss this episode. See you on the inside. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Premium Finance Show. On this episode, we're going to talk about the foreign national marketplace for premium financing. And I'm really excited to have Jimmy and Miguel from National Brokerage Atlantic on the call to help walk through some of the opportunities, some of the challenges in the marketplace, and kind of what they're seeing because they spend a lot of time they spend a lot of time in this arena. And it's something at Cool Springs that we run into from time to time, because obviously when you deal with ultra high net worth, wealthy individuals, clients that fit that criteria, not all of them are born in the United States or have citizenship just in the United States. So it's a question we get frequently and I'm happy to dive into this conversation. So good morning, Miguel and Jimmy. How are you guys today? Good morning, John. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, good, man. So, Jimmy, let's start with you, president of National Brokerage Atlantic. If you wouldn't mind giving the listeners kind of your history, your background, what got you to where you are today, and then Miguel will switch it over to you after that. Thank you, John. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Catanning, PA. Steelers fan. Always a Steelers fan. Always a Steelers fan. You're born. Nobody's perfect, but keep the conversation going. And my background was I grew up in a smaller town outside of Pittsburgh. And fortunately, I was my interest and in what kind of thing led me to the four national or we'll call it international global wealthy global citizen. I grew up, was exchanged student in Switzerland for a year. Really liked that. That was my first immersion into the foreign or international scene. That was when I was 16 years old. After that, I attended the Virginia Military Institute. And I had an opportunity to spend a year in Germany at their military school in Hamburg. Then afterwards, I went lived in Estonia and the Baltics and came back to the United States. So I've had a lot of international experience and I like just the nuances and it keeps it, it mixes it up, keeps it exciting. From there, I started working for my brother-in-law, casualty brokerage, which was very large, specializing in aggregates, mining, energy sector. And I started off writing home and auto loans, actually. And that was about 20 years ago, home and auto policies. And that was 20 years ago. And I had the opportunity to transition to employee benefits and grew that book from 
very minuscule to 4 million annual premium a year to about 50 million. But during that time wow. period with, I had the opportunity of working with these high net worth individuals that owned businesses, whether energy or just your typical small business. And we facilitated a lot of the life insurance deals. And that transitioned into a partnership with Next Tier Bank, where we created a premium finance lending program in 2017 and got them approved on their platform with all major carriers and grew it into 500 million plus book of premium finance loans that led me to purchase National Brokerage Atlantic in 2019 with my business partner. So that we, when we purchased that, they had a small niche of foreign nationals and we saw the opportunity in 2018, 2019 where there weren't too many carriers, mainly not too many domiciled U.S. carriers in this realm. And I saw an opening there and we moved to Miami and focused on one of our main focuses on not only high net worth domestic, but facilitating the brokerage of or distribution, working with financial advisors and their high net worth for national clients. So that's my history in a nutshell. And I'll turn it over to Miguel and we can get a little bit more into national brokerage after that. Go ahead, Miguel. Thank you. I was born in a little town in Spain, in the province of Alicante. And when I was 17, I jumped to, to England to do my A-levels. And I did two degrees over there in finance and international relations. When I finished my education, I wanted to have more contacts basically in Spain because I was from a little town in as I said and I went I jumped to Madrid and I was in IB is basically probably the best the best course you can get in finance over there for two years then I did my master's and I get married with a Venezuelan woman and she at that time she needs one more year to finish university and I instead of going back to London or New York, I went to Venezuela just for waiting for her. And yeah. I get a job in a multifamily office that was in Caracas and Connecticut. And I started doing security analysis there for five okay. years. I was traveling to, to, to Connecticut and Miami for, the, for those five years. Then I, after that, we moved, my family, we moved to Miami. That was eight years ago. And I started the insurance business. When I realized that insurance is an asset class, then I get very enthusiastic with that. And I started to develop strategies to help people, foreigners, that they don't have the access, they don't have a currency problem if they get the products from the U.S. And at the same time, we figured out that they, if they have some nexus to the U.S., they can have the best products in the world. Okay, I'm not talking about the products that you can get in Latin America, also in Europe. They are far from to be as good, as competitive as the U.S. product. Then we focus on, on, on foreign nationals in, in premium finance and other strategies just to help them for with all the problems they have today, basically. Okay? So that's what brings me here. I appreciate that. And I appreciate both of you giving us, our listeners, a little bit of your background and you know, obviously, Cool Springs and, you know, Jimmy, you've got the background in the premium finance world domestically as well. Miguel, you do too. Premium finance is not for everybody. It doesn't 
check all the boxes. However, when you have a wealthy individual or a wealthy business owner or a business owner that has key executives, it's a question of, are you, is that individual going to use their cash to finance the premiums of that policy? Or does it make more financial sense for them to use a lender's dollars to finance those premiums, to pay for those premiums, and they can leave their money invested in their company and their other investments that they have as a family, right? It's just a question of opportunity cost, right? In terms of where's the best place for those premium dollars to come from. So let's kind of start on a 30,000 macro view and then kind of taper it down to more specialized questions. But as a U.S. citizen and born in the United States, we tend to have a very myopic view of what wealth looks like. And we just focus in on our nation and our country. How big is the wealthy global citizen marketplace for you guys? Like, what are you guys seeing? You spend a lot of time here. How big is the opportunity relative to just U.S. citizens? Well, would you, I'll start off here. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, we're a broker's general agency and we provide back office, underwriting, commission, and our specialty, again, our niche is this foreign national marketplace. So that's what we're marketing towards 90% of the time. Of course, we take a lot of domestic, but we're always looking for pr- producers, professionals, tax attorneys especially for myself, are being located in Miami, which is considered the financial and cultural capital of Latin America. Is that correct, Miguel? It is. (laughs) So it's a true melting pot here. So 70 plus plus percent of our current business is foreign national, and that's because we're seeking it. However, when you say that, when you open that question, it's a huge opportunity, you know, whether you're in Miami, Chicago, Iowa, the West Coast. We have the United States. Why, why people are still coming here. You have a great, the U.S. domicile policy, and I'll let Miguel talk more about foreign nationals, PPLI for foreign nationals and our offshore opportunities. But for those seeking U.S. domicile carriers, they have the jurisdictional protection of the United States. The policies are in U.S. dollars. The policies, the product is better than that in their home country. The nexus requirements dependent on the carriers in which we do the market intelligence for for the producer and that financial professional, dependent on what their client's needs are. I want. I don't want to say it's a low bar, but if you're a high net worth or ultra high net worth global citizen, it's a pretty low bar. Uh, typically, all these, especially in Latam, they have a banking relationship, they have second homes, they have a myriad of family members here. So there is easy low bar nexus to fit into one of these four national programs dependent on the carrier, whether it's Mass Mutual, Lincoln, Pacific Life, Penn Mutual, it's all there for them and for this for them to partake in the advantages of US domicile life insurance. And Miguel, what are you seeing is the typical or what would you say is the demographic, the makeup, what is the typical wealthy global citizen foreign national? What do they look like? What's their typical net worth, 
income assets, kind of break it down in terms of what you guys are looking for from a prospective client? Yeah. Okay, sure. Unfortunately, and that's why the countries are like they are, there is no middle class in Latin America generally. Okay. Yeah. The, if you, you compare how many billionaires are comparing to how many millionaires and how many people that is average, we're talking about 3% of the population. But 3% of 700,000 million is a lot of people. A so, lot of people, yeah. you know, Latam, they are super concentrated. They are not split up. And those people, you, we find families that they are in Brazil, that they have more than $100 million net worth, and they don't have any $1 out of, the, of their countries. They are zero diversified. The same thing in Mexico. And then we can talk to Colombia and all those. But at the end of the day, the main problem is that every day, these people is getting more rich and the other ones are getting more poor every day and dra dramatically fast. Why? Because inflation, if you have an inflation in the US, imagine what is the inflation over there, right? So the people that is already established, they get richer. And the other ones is that they have a tough time. But if we focus in the ones that are the profile that we are, that they can feed in our solutions and products, first of all, they have to have a, a Nexus US Nexus or link to the US, right? So now from those 3% of the population, probably one of 1% one is the one that they have the link. And how long do they have to typically, and does it, it might vary from carrier to carrier or lender to lender, yeah. but how long do they have to have that nexus or that link to the United States? Typically, what's that we, time? We go carriers that if you have a 90 days bank account with more than $100,000, they can get your worldwide income and net worth. And we have another ones that if you don't have 2.7 million here in assets, they don't even consider you. So it varies, but we have, a, we have many options. Okay. You know, a lot of these global citizens or foreign nationals or international, they have nexus to the United States, but more importantly, why they need US life insurance or life insurance more so is they have this home in the United States. They might have a business in here. They might have partaken on an EB-5 program. That's a popular one. And all of a sudden, they have exposure to U.S. taxation and their full global wealth. So, again, the same reason that your high, ultra-high net worth U.S. citizen needs life insurance is the same reason why you're international, wealthy, global citizen, foreign national, whatever we would like to la label them demographically, needs life insurance, but they need it even more. Not only from U.S. taxation, but their asset protection in their home country and so forth. Do you see that there's a certain region of the world or certain countries that demand this or are looking for this more than other parts of the world? Well, right now, and I'll let uh, Miguel do in that, you know, since the pandemic, you, we have a perfect storm of what's occurring here. You have a pandemic, you have the situation in Ukraine and Russia, you have, you have the global inflationary, you have a migration. We often see migration of the lower demographic economically on the news and so forth. 
But what you see now is you have a migration of the high net worth or ultra high net worth moving to countries such as the UAE, very popular. United States, very popular. And these are the guys that can actually afford it to pick up their bags. We worked with a group called Henley and Partners. People have multiple passports now. They call it a plan B. And so then we have that person that's in the UAE now that might have nexus in the United States. They see the opportunity, not only, hey, for that U.S. policy, but if they don't see it for that, they might want to go to McGill for us for the PLI, for offshore PPLI. Combination of them all. Go ahead there, Miguel. If we start from where is the problem, the problem is very simple. Now, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, Bolivia, Mexico, and I can go on and on. They have governments unstable in terms of growth. Okay, let's leave it like that. So <laughs> they go after rich people. They do. They go. They want to destroy the wealth, basically. Okay, with the life insurance, we get an asset protection structure for them in the U.S. We basically eliminate the inflation locally they have. We have a fiction product that grows tax deferred. We start creating with the lawyers we work a succession planning that they don't normally do. They never think about retirement. And on the other hand, most of their assets in terms of proportions they could be 80, 20 in terms of hard assets to liquid assets. They don't even have enough money in cash to prepare the state planning for the second generation. That's the main problem. Let me tell you the second problem. When you are are living in Mexico, Colombia, even Venezuela, and you have a good position in terms of economic position, when you're going to have a kid, you go to the U.S., because you get the passport, right? And then they forgot about that. 20 years later, when they approach us, ah, by the way, my kids are American as well. Your kids are American. Yeah, yeah. So we now, the solution on insurance, well-structured insurance, let's leave it like that, they can protect them in a good way. They can protect the second generation. We can create a retirement plan for the second generation as well today. So this is a new different world for those people that that they didn't have before. Okay. They thought that if they had a VI and they put the assets there, that's it. Now they realize they have to pay income tax, wealth tax in most of the countries. The country can call those assets back to the country anytime they want. They are super afraid for that. And with the, with insurance, well-structured insurance, we can avoid and we can protect the clients today. That's why we are so focused on those people because they really need a transparent, regulated, revocable structure that protects them, second and third generation. And that's our focus here. Now, you mentioned structure a couple of times, and Jimmy, you mentioned PLI. And for the listeners, that's private placement life insurance, right? If you want to 
explain that a little bit, Miguel, where the PLI, the private placement life insurance, kind of how this may or may not fit into this structure to help protect those assets? Of course. Of course. We use private placement as a wrapper to keep all or most of the assets they have outside their country. Okay. If we do that, then in most of the countries, we we have to go case by case, but generally we have tax deferred and as a protection. And at the same time, we have the chance to organize beneficiaries. We organize second generation and multi-jurisdictional, typical family. They live in Bogota. One kid is in Madrid. The other one is in Miami. And what's going on? If you are in Europe, they don't recognize trust as law. If you are in the US, which trust is the one that they should have as a beneficiary? So we work with international lawyers and local lawyers from each country to create the full structure itself. We are coordinators. We are focused on the main product itself. But they are look they are looking always for the full solution in this multi-jurisdictional problem they have. Okay. <clears throat> so that's one one of the ways we use PLI. On the other hand, we also have ways to structure restructure debt in, inside the PPLIs and also part of the operating companies that they don't know how to divide them. And let's go stream. We can also pay premiums with art assets today. So what happens with a family that they have four Picassos, they never leave Monterey, everything is there. They have, I don't know, 40 million in assets in portfolio. They can even touch it, how they divide that. There are 18 second generation members. How do we do this? Mm. There is ways to securitize that asset, put it inside the eye, and they will have, if there is a sell, if there is a growth, every all those assets will be divided basically for each member in the second generation and is totally controlled. So we are very happy to find those solutions. And at the same time, this is more asset protection, okay? But in terms of succession planning, we can combine assets that are inside the pay offshore to do a premium finance onshore with the best policies you can get, which are the US ones. And then we do a full protection for the family and up to, as I said, third generation. So that makes sense. I mean, what you're saying is very similar to what our U.S. citizen domestic clients face. They have assets that they've acquired and PLI is becoming, maybe it's because we're talking about it more, or maybe it's becoming more mainstream, even though it's not very well known, where you can wrap assets into a life insurance structure, create the tax deferred nature of it. But liquidity is always an issue, right? Liquidity is an issue. And so when you have a policy written on good paper by a quality carrier, that liquidity means everything to that family. And so that's what you're saying is you're able to, in the right circumstances where the fact pattern lines up, you're able to take a wealthy global citizen working with those attorneys that understand that country's laws and create a tax deferred structure, but also create liquidity and protect their assets from government seizure, clawbacks, things of that nature. Is that right? That's correct. So here in the United States, when we do medical underwriting on life insurance policies, and we do lots of, you know, big life insurance policies at Cool Springs, 
one of the challenges is the medical underwriting and the physician statements, the doctor statements. So how do you handle that on an international situation where the documents and records may not be to the level of the medical information system here in the United States? How do you address that? Well, that's one, again, that's one of our key fortes and my biggest selling is we can get these cases done. The crazier the case, the better. We love foreign national cases. We love jumbo cases. We like it even more. We have our underwriting team led by Chris Birch, 35 plus years of experience, not only captive, but brokerage that she can utilize her skills for this. And she lives and breathes for it. And that's what's so successful. And it's the same way with what you're doing at Cool Springs. I mean, we can show a client every day a great life insurance policy from that particular carrier. But if we don't go forth with the proper and don't get the underwriting, it's worthless. We're just stuck. I mean, I could show someone a preferred and all of a sudden they're table three. That's not going to help me out too much. So that's where our in-house expertise comes and facilitates these deals and gets the deals done. So again, it starts with our carrier relationships. The carriers know us. We know we've put in large amounts of life insurance for foreign nationals. Chris Birch's relationship and her team's relationship with the carriers, their underwriting teams, they recognize her as a peer, a peer with her experience and her background. And we work with the advisor and our team in collecting these medical records. It's really not as hard as it seems. I mean, we're on Zoom right now in every one of these international countries for the most part, especially with their medicals, they're very well connected. And in addition to that, a lot of the, a lot of the clients, they go, to the, they go to the doctor of the United States. Because of wealth. They're going to Mayo Clinic. They're going to Sloan Kettering. They're going to Cleveland Clinic. They're coming here to Miami to utilize the resources of the health system here in the United States. Again, it's not a perfect health system, but it's pretty good compared to a lot of other places. So we can readily get these. When the records are in their home countries, we utilize a translation service. It's certified by the carriers. And again, we're building a case. Everything goes informally to the carriers. We're, Chris Birch is a huge proponent of the informal. So we're not putting anyone on the MIB. We're getting informal offers back. And that's when we package it up for the thing. With the, with in addition to that, everything needs to be conducted here in the United States. The client needs to sign the paperwork here. They need to do their medical here. And again, most importantly, they need for U.S. domicile products, 99.9, all of them, they have to be solicited in the United States. Yes. Yeah, so that was a challenge for you guys during COVID then, right? When people couldn't travel and they were stuck in their countries and couldn't get out. I imagine that being an issue. That was another question I was going to bring up is, do they have to do their paramedical exams here in the United States? Yes. 99% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. What about... Asia, what are you guys able to do business with clients in Asia? Is there a wealthy global citizen foreign national program? I know, Jimmy, we had a couple of conversations about some 
potential Asian deals. So are, where do y'all's abilities yes. in that? Scope? We've done plenty in China. Again, that's another one of the countries with this perfect storm of you know, dysphoria, we'll call it. We're looking at yeah. Russia right now. You're looking at China. You're looking at Brazil. You're looking at all these countries in flight. Yes, we can do it in China. And, and you know, that's a great, what you brought up before. We It was very slow during COVID initially, but fortunately for us being in Florida, and it opened up fairly quickly compared to everywhere else, and LADAM and so forth, we had a lag from the cases we had there before that kind of transitioned over to it. So we didn't, yeah. we, if we would have, it wouldn't have been great if we were heavily focused in Asia because they just kind of opened up right now with the traveling requirements. But to answer your question, yes. So again, any carrier like Pacific Life, Lincoln, so forth, we formulate internally, we provide the client, the producer, a full country list with their carrier guidance, a cheat sheet by country. So if you ask for China, Vietnam, Japan, we'll provide that with all the underwriting nuances, with the jumbo limits, with the nexus requirements, with the rating from A to D countries. Each carrier does that respectively. That goes back to the early 1990s, how the insurance, uh, they developed this actuarial or underwriting wise with the country codes. So we'll guide them through that process. And that's like in terms of underwriting risk, right? Where the countries are, how quote unquote, an A country, a B country, a C country, that type of thing. Yes. Yeah. They're underwriting your actuarial risk for that particular country. And that's what we look at. And that's a great, and you can see one carrier will take like, I don't know. We'll take Mexico, and that might not be the best example, but one carrier might have Mexico rated as a B country, and all the others might have an A country. And one carrier might have a retention limit of $20 million, and another one only $2 million. And the other carrier might have a best rating class of only standard, but there's might be three carriers that are preferred. So that's what we're drilling down into working with that particular advisor. When they bring us a foreign national case, we're like, here are your options for this country. We have a foreign national fact finder, fact finder for our internal underwriting to develop the case. And then we're to holistically look at this and say, hey, I know you're not a fan of, I'm not going to name carrier names, carrier A, but carrier A has a retention of $40 million. They're seeing this country as an A, and their best class is preferred plus. But your carrier you want to do it with is Mexico's a B. They're only going to give a standard, and you can only get 2 or $3 million for them. I mean, this is your choices. Let's take a look at these fiduciary and what's in best for the yeah. client. And this is how we do it. And knowing that carrier matrix, and I'm sure that changes like dynamically, right? And they're always changing things and making adjustments. And the fact that you guys can keep track of that's the guidance that 
the advisors that bring you the cases. But Miguel, my question for you is how much are you dealing directly with those attorneys or those tax attorneys or those that clients, representatives and agents? How much direct contact do you guys have with those offices? Are you going straight through the advisors? 90% of the time we go through the advisors. Okay. Yeah. 90% of the time. So I would assume, and I, well, I don't want to assume from a Cool Springs perspective, we're agnostic to the product that we put the client in. In other words, whether it's a whole life contract or an index universal life contract, it, it doesn't matter to us at Cool Springs. We just want to know that the carrier that we're doing business with is a trusted carrier that maintains their promises for their clients over a long period of time. In other words, they don't have a history of, you know, pulling the rug out from under a client, raising the cost of insurance rates on a block of business or saying they're going to do something and they don't do it. They maintain their promises. But whether it's a whole life product or an index universal product, we really don't care. It's whichever one works the best. What do you guys see in this wealthy global citizen, foreign national? What tends to be the product that works better in this space? I can I answer. <laughs> uh, in my point of view, whole lives fit better in their minds in terms of stability. Okay. They, Why is that? Because they view it as safer. Because they see a stable dividend for a long time, and on the other hand, they locally they have not very good, let's say, not very efficient products. And most of them, if they are, they are IULs. So you cannot compare an international IUL with a national US IUL. Totally different right. world, but they have that perspective. So in terms of stability, they love whole lives, to be honest. Obviously, the four, the three best brands or more recognized brands, they are very comfortable with the stable dividends, basically. Yeah, and let's face it, as you know, the treasury yield continues to push higher and you know, we get that 10-year treasury rate that becomes larger than the short-term treasury rate, and we go back to a normal yield curve as opposed to an inverted yield curve. I too like the long-term prospects of those dividends rates increasing in those whole life products. It's been a tough marketplace for the whole life world for the last 15 years in a decreasing interest rate environment. But I think that's going to be more normalized here moving forward when these carriers start issuing new product pricing. We're still not seeing that yet, right? All the products that are in the marketplace today are based on a treasury that was, you know, in the 1.8% range, 1.4% range, and the products were based on that. So I'm excited to see where that goes, but you're right. It's all about their perspective, right? So it's relative to what they see locally that whole life contract looks very good. And it's, it is at that level of wealth, it is all about the stability, right? To be able to do that. So are you then able to find, and I know lending rates change and float, but with that, are you able to find lending institutions globally that are willing to loan to these transactions or are they more US-based lenders? We have some providers in Switzerland, but 
deficiency compared to the U.S., we go for the U.S. trade. And some providers, they are comfortable with the with the foreign nationals if they have a link to the U.S. At the end of the day, as you know, the foreign national doesn't buy the policy. It's, a, it's oh, even as LLC, an islet. So at the end of the day, it's a, it's a U.S. entity, the client. So, so yeah. Okay. So you know, before, oh, before the we product was, oh, you want me no, to go ahead? Go ahead. For product, I mean, Miguel has focuses heavily on for for the mass mutual whole life. And on more on our side, we see it, a lot of IUL, and a, a lot of IUL goes with the regular domestic marketplace. In addition to that, when not financed, a huge favorite is a VUL for estate planning with the maturity guarantee. And by far and away, one of the most more popular ones has been the Lincoln VUL1, where you can put that maturity guarantee and doing a short pay, three to five pay, overfunding it. And it's essentially then a stick it in a drawer, forget about it, utilizing their right. Lincoln's PDA account. And no matter, and the foreign national, every client seems to like that in lieu of financing if they don't want to go the financing road. And we also do a lot in turn. I mean, we for their businesses and so forth. So again, we're product carrier agnostic and we're looking for the best fit. I love whole life. It's great, but it's not for everyone. If you get a sophisticated client in there, they understand whether it's index, the IUL or a VUL, and they, the same way they understand the use of leverage, they're a sophisticated investor. They like to have the utilize the leveraging and get the added return on that. Got it. Yeah, that's like how we feel as well is product agnostic, for the most part, carrier agnostic. And quite frankly, funding agnostic as well. The client can fund it however they want to fund it. We just present them with all of the options of that funding that they may be unaware of. And so anything we can do to make the client situation, what you said, Miguel, protected and more liquid is what this is all about. So before we wrap up, Jimmy, what question should I have asked that I haven't asked you yet? Or what point to bring up should I have brought up? I can't think of any right now. I think we've covered a broad array. I guess the next would be is how to get in touch with us and how to work with Cool Springs, Miguel, and myself. Yeah, I'll put that on the podcast. I'll put that at the bottom of the write-up, your contact information, your website, and how to get in touch and how to kind of initiate and launch a case with Cool Springs and National Brokerage Atlantic. Miguel, what were you going to say? Maybe this is interesting. Rates comparing to a foreign national for a premium finance structure comparing to a national, all depends. The answer is all depends on the relationship, the client and the type of assets they have in the U.S. We can get basically the same thing if the client has a good nexus to the U.S., okay? Could be a question that would interest to someone. Yeah, then you bring up a good point. And I know that we don't like to think in terms of minimum requirements, but really if someone's going to think about doing this, 
on a minimum level, what would their global wealth need to be and what would their U.S. nexus need to be, just as a rule of thumb? We are looking for people that has at least $10 million. Uh, globally? Assets. Yeah, globally. How much U.S. of that $10 million? Sorry. I how much would need to be nexus in the U.S. on that $10 million? We can start from 100000 to $3 million, $4 million. It depends. It depends on the type of Lowe's yeah, I know that's a very tough question. Yeah. Lowe's is If they have an apartment here, sometimes better. Like if the apartment is, I, I, there is no apartment of $200,000 here. But let's say this example. They are a house here in the US for $200,000, sometimes better than having a bank account of $800,000 because they, oh, you have a house, you have a better Nexus. But it's case by case. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I know that's a tough situation, but as people are listening to this and they're thinking about their prospective clients, you know, we'll have attorneys that listen to this, CPAs, obviously financial advisors and, you know, wealthy global citizens themselves, I'm sure we'll hear this podcast. And when we're going through and they're thinking, does their relationship qualify or do they themselves qualify? That's why I wanted to ask the question. I know you guys don't spend a tremendous amount of time at that level, but if someone wanted to know where they needed to be to make that phone call or reach out, I, I wanted to go do that. All right, gentlemen, I appreciate this. Anything else you want to say? I'm good. good. All right, Steelers are not my favorite football team by any stretch of the imagination. I'm an Oiler fan. Still, I'm an Oiler fan. And for those of you that don't know, Miguel from Spain, but not a huge soccer fan. So I still find that hard to believe. Those that know me, I'm a massive soccer fan, but that's okay. Nobody's Is that a perfect. Warren Moon jersey you have in your background? I don't have a Warren Moon jersey. I do have an Earl Campbell jersey, though. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Thank you for your time. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks thank you, John. for coming on. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. There we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at premiumfinanceshow.com. And you can find out more about all the ways we can help you at coolspringsfinancial.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.